Dusty, what's the one book you can always find in our car when we're on a trip? Honestly, Mike, it is usually a Moon travel guide. That's right. Moon is our favorite travel guidebook publisher because not only are they a source for ethical travel and the best ways to get away, but their books also are packed full of information on everything from sites to see, trails to hike, restaurants, and lodging, all from real authors who are local to the areas they're writing about. That's right. And we're so excited that this year we are again partnering with Moon Travel Guides. Ready to cross something off your travel bucket list in 2024? Have a lot of great ideas for trips, but don't know how to get started or keep your itinerary organized? Wherever your wanderings might take you or inspire you to go, Moon Travel has you covered. Moon Travel is the travel guidebook publisher for ethical travel. Don't spend months trying to craft the perfect getaway when you can do it all with Moon. Whether you're headed abroad, planning to take to the open road, or want to wander the trails of a national park, make sure to pack a Moon Travel Guide with you. Through the end of 2024, our listeners can get 20% off any Moon Travel Guide when they use the code GAZE20 at checkout. That's amazing. And that is code GAZE24, G-A-Z-E-2-4 for 20% off any Moon travel guide in Moon's entire library. And that is just for our listeners, and you cannot find that anywhere else. Be sure to visit Moon.com. Head to our show notes and check it out and see Moon's entire collection of travel guidebooks. Hello, and welcome to Trail Mix by Gaze at the National Parks, the podcast. I'm Dusty. And I'm Mike. If you're joining us for the first time, Trail Mix is the short format episodes of our show. While our long format episodes explore one hiking trail and one national park, one park at a time, Trail Mix allows us to dive deeper into things we didn't get to cover in our long format episodes. That's right. And this Trail Mix episode is all about the nature of sand dunes. The Nature of Sand Dunes kind of sounds like it could be a YA novel about young love and murder on Cape Cod. (laughs) It could be. It could also be like um, futuristic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very Dune, right? Mm -hmm. The nature of dunes, the nature of sand dunes. Mm -hmm. So what do you know about sand dunes? Generally speaking, I would say, I mean, I know that they are earthly formations. Mm -hmm. I know there's wind involved. Mm -hmm. I know that we have them all over the place. I don't really know like what constitutes dunes versus just like piles of sand Mm. or a beach or Uh whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know when you would then eventually call it a dune. Mm. I don't know that. If there, even if there is a threshold, who knows? Mm. But obviously we've been to two parks that are designated because of their dunes, which is Indiana Dunes Mm -hmm. and also Great Sand Dunes. And there are also other parks like White Sands that are designated that um, we haven't visited yet. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like you kind of like hit the nose on the hail. I mean, the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> the nose on the hail. I think I spoonerized in my head I there. I think you did. The nose on the hail. In a few ways. I did, yeah. To start, let's answer the question of what a sand dune is and how it is formed. It might surprise you, but it probably won't because most of our science-based trail mix episodes usually all have the same culprit. From gorges to canyons to rivers, wind is a powerful driver in the creation of 
sand dunes. Quite literally, a dune is a mound of sand, and dunes can form or be formed in a variety of places. Most notably, if you live near the shore and your beach is sandy and not rocky, dunes may either be naturally occurring or be human-made in an effort to cut down on wind and damaging waves or storm surge. Sometimes they're a little bit of column A and column B, as human-made dunes will ultimately grow and shift on their own accord. Near where I live in New Jersey, used Christmas trees are often recycled and used as a base to help catch sand to help replenish and create new dunes. If you live in a desert climate or desert-rich part of the world, the sand here is shifting constantly through the power of the wind. These dunes have no originator other than nature herself. But in thinking of the dunes we are talking about, those of the Great Sand Dunes National Park and Indiana Dunes National Park, wind has a major part to play. As sand accumulates in a dune, the dune grows in size. Feed me, Seymour! Just like that. Just like <laughs> Just that. Like Audrey too. Shop of Horrors. Uh-huh. That's right. Dunes are actively accumulating more mass every day. When we think about dunes, the tendency may be to think of them as static land masses. But in the grand scheme of land masses that change and shift within a person's lifetime, even within a person's year, dunes, and unfortunately now glaciers, are probably the two that change the fastest. For the purposes of this episode, we will speak about dunes in two ways. Much of the information at the front of the episode will investigate dunes in a more general sense, while the latter half of the episode will more specifically focus on shore dunes like those found in Indiana Dunes National Park. Dunes are constantly changing, and a lot of that has to do with three factors, space, wind, and sand. This makes sense considering without the supply of sand, the dune doesn't exist in the first place. And the only way to get bigger is through both enough space to grow and strong enough winds to help the sand accumulate. When we think about Indiana Dunes National Park and State Park, the wind here clearly blows off the waters of Lake Michigan. These great lakes, due to their enormous size, create their own weather patterns. And not only this, but they have their own tides, which are also contributing factors in not only the amount of sand deposited, but the wind patterns as well. In thinking about Great Sand Dunes National Park, the winds from the Rocky Mountains, which can be particularly active in the spring, carry sand from the valley floor and work to create massive dunes like Star Dune, which is 741 feet tall from the base to the summit. Dunes themselves, like mountains, have a windward side, which faces the predominant wind and collects most of the material, and a leeward side, the side sheltered from the wind. When talking about dunes, the leeward side is also known as the slip face. While the accumulating side is typically much rougher and fuller, the slip face tends to be smooth. Dunes are rarely solitary figures and oftentimes appear in a collection of dunes called a dune belt or dune field. And while this episode focuses mostly on dunes on land, dunes form below the surface of water as well, called subaqueous dunes. They are formed by strong currents of the waters they reside in, oceans, rivers, and canals. When it comes to dunes on land, there are five basic types. Crescentic, linear, star, dome, and parabolic. Crescentic dunes are shaped like a crescent moon, or the letter C. These dunes are the most common type of dunes on Earth and on planet Mars as well. The windward side of this type of dune is the concave side or the inner part of the sea or crescent. These dunes primarily receive wind and material from one direction, making them the fastest moving dunes on the planet. A group of crescentic dunes, also known as barkens 
or transverse dunes have been recorded covering vast distances in both China and Egypt, in some cases over 100 meters per year. Hugh the Jurassic Park, Dr. Grantline, they do move in herds. Crescentic dunes are more wide than they are long, the largest of which occur in China's Taklimakan Desert in some cases exceeding widths of three kilometers in size. Linear dunes form straight lines or columns. Sometimes these types of dunes have a slight wiggle or wave to them as they are formed by equal pressure of wind on two sides. Unlike crescentic dunes, these dunes are longer than they are wide. While it may appear as these types of dunes are singular in nature, many times they form in parallel formations to one another with miles of sand or gravel between them. These dunes have been known to grow up to 160 kilometers in length. Star dunes are dunes that have slip faces on at least three sides and are typically pyramidal in their form. Unlike linear or crescentic dunes, these types of dunes occur where there are multi-directional winds at play. The Sahara and the bardane Jiran Desert of China prominently feature star dunes, the latter desert boasting the tallest dunes in the world at 500 meters tall. While these types of dunes may appear in an erg-slash-dune field or sand sea, many times they appear toward the edges of the desert, typically near a topographical change in the geography. Dome dunes are the rarest of the dunes listed as they do not have a slip face and material may be accumulated from any side. Like star dunes, these types of dunes typically appear at the edges of a dune field or desert. And last but not least, the parabolic dunes. These dunes are similar to the crescentic dune. In fact, the shape is the same. The main difference between these two types of dunes is that the slip face is on the outside of a crescentic dune and on the inside of a parabolic dune. These types of dunes are also called blowouts, just like my haircut. Mm -hmm. As the sand has been eroded or eaten from the inner side of the crescent, the arms of the parabolic dune typically lag as the dune moves due to vegetation. These types of dunes are very common in coastal deserts, beaches with dunes, or dune fields. In fact, we saw a great deal of blowouts while we hiked in Indiana Dunes State and National Parks. So the winds, yet again. I mean, it really is about the wind. The wind cries Mary. <laughs> Literally. Literally. And or she's the talking wind about cries us. Diana yeah. of the dunes, mm-hmm. perhaps. Mm-hmm. Things we'll talk about later yeah. with Indiana dunes. It's wild to think about how impactful the wind is. I mean, on so many things, not just land masses. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. But this is definitely a landform that is... I feel like um, the effects of wind are seen a lot faster yeah. with dunes rather than, say, like with a gorge or with a mountain where wind is certainly affecting it all sure. the time. But it may take, you know, hundreds of years before, like, there's a visual difference. Yep. But with dunes, it can be almost immediate. Yeah, yeah. Wind is indeed a major, if not the most important factor in the creation of dunes. While these types of dunes can exist on their own as simple dunes, they can also occur in both compound and complex forms as well. A compound dune is a large dune which has a smaller dune of a similar type and slip face orientation superimposed onto it. 
A complex dune is two or more combined dune types. For example, a crescentic dune, which has a superimposed star dune on it. This is the most common type of complex dune. Again, so much of this boils down to wind and wind direction. While simple dunes have a consistent wind pattern that has existed since the creation of the dune, compound and complex dunes have wind patterns that frequently change both in direction and in intensity. Because of the harsh winds that form them, and their constant shifting nature, flora and fauna don't often call the dunes home. In desert climates, dunes aren't the most ripe for hosting plant life, unless the plants themselves are adaptable to the hard climates. Often, those with shallow root systems will adapt the best. As far as fauna goes, few animals in nature call the dunes home, but rather a transitory stopping point on the way to other spaces. That being said, there are exceptions, like the sandfish of the Sahara Desert. These animals are not fish, but lizards with retractable limbs that can swim through the smooth sand. Cue your nightmares. Other dune-roaming animals of the Middle East and Asia include the yuz, which is an Asiatic cheetah, and an onager, which is an animal similar to a horse, but with the looks of a donkey. In turning our gaze toward shore dunes, like those found at Indiana Dunes National Park, these dunes fall into two classifications, blowouts and four dunes. We already know what a blowout is. A four dune is a dune that runs parallel to a shoreline that has sand that has been deposited into a vegetated part of the shore. These types of dunes break down into three main types, incipient, established, and relict dunes. Incipient four dunes are dunes which are closest to the water and often collect and catch sand due to a roughness or change in texture of the shoreline. Most of the time, this is vegetation, but may also be due in part to driftwood or other shore detritus. These types of dunes often are transient and can be washed away due to storm surge or extreme weather, although sometimes they do grow in size and become a more established four dune or a relict, if another incipient dune forms in front of it. An established four dune runs parallel to the shore and is developed from an incipient dune, but one that has gained greater height, width, and age. These types of dunes have a large spread of vegetation throughout them, which may include woodier shrubs. This is due to the fact that these dunes tend to have gained distance from the shore and are better able to stabilize and establish more resiliency in the fauna there. Relict four dunes mark the former shoreline and are often far removed from the shore itself. These dunes develop over vast stretches of time and are a product of incipient and established four dunes forming in front and cutting off the supply of sediment that is used to build up the two former types of dunes. Relic four dunes may form a four dune field, establishing more stability within the dunes and the landscape. If we drill in specifically to speak about Indiana Dunes National Park, these dunes are the remnants of glacial retreat, the same glacial retreat that formed the Great Lakes themselves. As the climate cooled and glaciers advanced, they work to carve out basins in the soft bedrock and river valleys. The basins that were formed due to this glaciation is eventually what, over a long period of time, became the Great Lakes. About 20,000 years ago, the last glacial period reached its peak, and when the glaciers retreated... Lake Michigan was formed. The sand and beaches formed about 10,000 years ago from sediments, which were carried to the lakes by rivers and then pulverized slowly over time through the waves beating against the shore. Remnants of these original dunes now appear more inland as the lake itself has retreated over time. About 5,900 years ago, modern beaches and dunes began to form in earnest. The dunes themselves are a constantly changing feature of Indiana Dunes National Park, as they are in any space where dune fields are active. 
with wind and water driving their ever-changing nature, Indiana Sand Dunes is a park that will continue to look and feel different each time you visit, as it is actively changing in significant ways each day, something few national parks can boast. The sources for today's episode include the article Dune, published in National Geographic, the United States Geological Survey on Dunes and on Indiana Dunes, and the article Coastal Dunes Geomorphology by Craig R. Sloss on Nature.com. And now, let's end this episode like we end most of our episodes with some Jeopardy-style trivia. So we're going to play a game, and this game is called The Nude Dune. So the nude dune. dune. So the word nude and dune are jumbles of one another. That's true. You can rearrange the letters. Oh no. So these jumbles. And this is jumbles, but it's color jumbles because nude is a color. Yeah. Um, so everything that is going to be given as a clue, you will have to name the color and then the other word that okay. is unjumbled from it. All right. All right. You'll be okay. You'll All be right. okay. For 100, this citrus fruit, if it had to walk 5,280 feet. What is a lime mile? That's correct. What is the lime mile? Got it. Great. 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 For 200, this organ for processing the blood in the body painted the same color as the Tin Man. What is... It's pluralized. Uh, silver, silver livers. That's correct. What are the silver livers? Okay. Okay. Great. I feel like the sweat over there. <laughs> You're doing fine. Okay. For three hundred, this very frugal stone fruit. What is the cheap peach? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's see. I could get behind a little band called the Cheap Peaches. I like. That. No, it would just have to be the Cheap Peach. I mean, it, it doesn't could work be, otherwise. But yeah, I feel like there's multiple members. Great, um, they're all cheap peaches. They're all cheap peaches. Okay, for four hundred, along with bashful, this is one of Shelby's wedding colors in steel magnolias, along with a talentless and boorish man. What is a blush schlub? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> schlub is such a great. My word. colors are blush and bashful. And bashful. Your no, colors are pink, pink and, and pink. pink. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, Mama. <laughs> All why, right. Why would I? I'd rather have one moment of of wonderful than an entire life of nothing special. Mm-hmm. There it is. And for five hundred, it's not just blue. It's not turquoise, and it's actually not cerulean. It's this other color in Miranda Priestley's Devil Wears Prada monologue. If she was talking about buckets, what is lapis pale? That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's the gayest thing. Mm-hmm. Not the gayest thing we've ever said, but mm-hmm. one of them. And that's the new Doom. You're so blithely unaware of is that. <laughs> and I think it's comical how you think you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact that sweater was selected for you by the people in this room from from a pile of stuff this has been gaze at the devil wears prada (laughs) and we're here to remind you to hike early and hike often i was trying to think of something creative (laughs) (laughs) and that lapis pails are always out there that's correct
Days at the National Parks was created and is hosted by us, Dustin Ballard and Michael Ryan. To see images from this episode, follow our Instagram at Gaze at the National Parks. To contact us, email us at Gaze at the National Parks at gmail.com. And to find out more about the parks visited on this show, visit our website, Gaze at the National Parks.com. That's Gaze, G A Z E. All original artwork featured on Instagram, on our website, and in the Gaze Shop is by me, Michael Ryan. All original music was written by Dave Seaman and performed by Dave Seaman. Mariella Klinger and Sean Sklios. Our music producer is Skylar Fortgang. This episode was edited by me, Dustin Ballard. We would also like to acknowledge that while recording this episode that we are on the traditional and stolen lands of the Lenape people, also known as Ocean County, New Jersey. Mm-hmm.